Hello and welcome back to The Real Pulpit. I'm your host, Graham Pirro, and I'm joined today by halftime assistant editor, Iman Rahman. Iman, how are you? What's up? And leisure writer, Sam Sharoff. Now, Sam, this is your first time on the podcast, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Excellent. How are you feeling? Excited? Uh, yeah. Got some takes Here's ready the... to go? All right. Yeah, let's That's do it. exciting. Uh, we're discussing um, Annihilation, a relatively small science fiction film that came out a couple of weeks ago now, and it got swept mm. up in the post-Black Panther hype. <laughs> Um, but it's definitely worth revisiting and discussing because it's something of an enigmatic movie that you don't really see get made that often mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so let's get into it. General thoughts on the movie. What did you guys think going in? Had you read the book? Take it away, Sam. I actually ended up reading the book after because I was uh, I was left with a whole bunch of thoughts um, after after seeing the film. Um, it definitely is a thinker. Um, so it's kind of the kind of film where you stand around in the theater and just end up talking about it, um, just because uh, it's one of those movies where you know the ending's a little bit ambiguous, um, and people have their own interpretations of it. So I ended up reading the book, which is uh, the movie's really loosely based in the book. Um, uh, the director um, Alex Garland definitely put his own spin on it, which I ended up liking um, a lot. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read the book uh, in high school, uh, and the book really has these, uh, it, it really vividly yet also vaguely um, explains all these anomalies that are happening uh, in The Shimmer, um, which is crazy to do on film just because you really have to fully realize it to put it visually so that audiences can see it, What what uh, the characters are seeing, but in a book you can just explain like the feeling it gives you and then it's up to the reader's imagination to do, which is really, um, in my opinion, one of the most amazing things that the movie does and even maybe improves upon the book. It elicits that feeling while also giving you something that you can attach the feeling you get to it. And also um, one big change is that uh, the book doesn't give these characters names, whereas the movie does. Um, and I think that's huge in really connecting us intimately to these characters, especially Natalie Portman's character, Alina, um, because in the book she's just the biologist. Uh, but just naming them and giving them a little bit of a backstory identifies us with them and I think is just one of the many improvements that I think Garland makes upon Vanderbeek's work, Vandermeer's work, my bad. <laughs> yeah, reading the, uh, reading the book... Um, I remember because th- I read the book when I heard saw the first trailer for the movie, and I thought that if Garland tried to do like a direct interpretation of the book, it was going to end up like some horrible like fever mm-hmm. dream for an hour and a half yeah. or something. It's a trippy um, book. Yeah, and, and and what I thought was remarkable about the book was that it really gets in your head. Like it's mm-hmm. you feel like the the prose is so dense and but so beautiful at the same time and it's so haunting that you feel like you're like you're there and it's like it's infecting your brain in this weird way it's sort of just like i I tried to read it in one setting and i couldn't (laughs) because it was just it was an incredibly strange work and i guess that it's fitting that the movie uh like you're saying sam it's it's a loose interpretation it's more like inspired Mm -hmm. by and Mm -hmm. takes the premise and then goes off in its own direction but the last 20 or so minutes of the movie I, a very similar sense to what I got from the book where it's this incredibly visual tactile experience uh, that I think is really it's remarkable that Garland mm-hmm. was able to pull that off and the, the book it's, the book itself takes its time it's not a quick read yeah. um, so I found it was pretty impressive that Garland was able to make it um, as engaging as it was um, 
I think part of that was due to the you know fantastic performances, obviously uh, Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman. Um, but the the changes to uh, to the story obviously made uh, was ended up being very beneficial in my opinion. Yeah, I think Graham, what you said about like it really being dense, uh, and what you said about being it being slow. There's this really um, very deliberate lyricism that the book uh, really takes a lot of time conjuring up um, that really can't be explained, and that's throughout the book. And Garland does that in the fina- the climax of the film in a completely different way, but still has this ballet type lyricism to it. it. It's like this weird dance of like science and life. It's so hard to explain without like. To some, to, I was talking to one of my friends about it the other day. And I'm like, I, you got to see the movie. I can't explain to you what this ending is. Why? Well, uh, oh, like, sorry, go ahead. I think the best way I, I could, you know, come up with a way to explain it was the the last 15 minutes or like a 15 minute acid trip. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. No. I, it, the reason that I'm not really concerned about spoilers is, like, you can tell someone what happens at the end of the movie, but at the same time, you can't really. Mm-hmm. Like, it's. It's something, like I was saying earlier, this feels like a movie that, ha- like, just cannot get made anymore in Hollywood. And yeah. I got major 2001 A Space Odyssey vibes from the ending where it's this insane visual experience and then nothing really gets explained, but it's all up to the viewer's interpretation, which is remarkable that a movie like this gets made in 2018. I, I mean, the whole movie is really leading up to what's in the lighthouse, right? And it, that's what keeps us locked in, and we start thinking about what can it possibly be, and how are they going to, uh, quote unquote, defeat the shimmer or whatever, and get rid of it. And it totally just blows you away because you could never have imagined that this is what would take place in there, and that it would take this long, and that it would be this, that it would go forth in the way that it does. And it's just a complete rejection of modern movie, modern sci-fi, even uh, denouements of film. And going back to the end for just for a little bit. Um, the ending itself is such a visceral experience. Yeah. Um, the sound is booming. Um, it's something that you really want to see on the biggest screen possible with the, the best speakers possible. So the fact that it's, it is going to Netflix is kind of a disappointment mm-hmm. because I feel like it is a film that should be experienced in the theaters. Unfortunately, yeah, like a movie like this doesn't get made precisely because of what happened to yeah. it. Like it did not do particularly well and it had a pretty low cinema score which meant that audiences what audiences expected going in was not what they got uh yeah i mean to get into some specifics what i thought was remarkable about the film was the way that garland mixes elements of different genres like Mm -hmm. some of the most effective scenes i'm going to tell you because the way i looked at the film you sort of have to split it up between the ending and then the rest of the movie because the ending is so much so kind of removed and different from what comes before um, but the elements of body horror, I thought, were pretty remarkable. Like the video that they find of the previous expedition where Oscar Isaac cuts open one of his companions' uh, stomachs, stomachs yeah. and there's just writhing inside. Like moments like that and then the bear that has the human screams. It's mm-hmm. Stuff like that is just like that was worth the price of admission alone because those were terrifying. And the alligator tents. with the shark's teeth yeah, and like, stuff like that. Th- and that um, sort of that sort of action was not present at all in the novel. The novel, like you were saying, is like very slow and takes its time. This movie is also slow and takes its time, but there are those moments of like extreme, intense action that really keeps you engaged. Yeah, I think it's hypnotizing too because even uh, when it's not these extreme action sequences, you still get these uh, these uh, like the way that 
the biology and like the, the the mutations that are happening to all the plants and animals in the shimmer like the the deer with like flowery antlers the the plants that like formed into like humanoid uh shapes and stuff like that uh it, it's just so imaginative and such a wonder of um production design really and that the scene that they come to in the pool uh, after seeing that video of Oscar Isaac, I can't even explain it. It's like this disembodied, um, beautiful yet grotesque tableau of that person, we assume, that had that writhing thing in its body just absolutely destroyed against the wall. And nobody, even the characters in the movie, understand what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. If you guys have ever seen the TV show Hannibal... Oh uh, very much like one of the Amazing. murder scenes in that uh, the way that the body is spread up against mm-hmm. well like you like you were saying it feels destroyed but at the same time it created something yeah which is really the whole idea of the film yes is, is how in general things are destroyed but then reborn and I think that that's the idea that is really cleverly conveyed through the animals that we see because mm-hmm. we see three there are three major encounters with animals. There's the gator, the bear, and then the deer. I don't know if that's the exact order. But each one of those, you get the feeling that they're at different stages of their new development and of these new, like, gene mutations. Because the gator, is, it's fine. it has the shark teeth, but it's still fine. It's able to operate. But the bear, like, the, the face of the bear is so disfigured and it looks like it's rotting as it looks like the creature is dying and then the deer are majestic and beautiful so it's this really interesting look at like the way that these new creatures are evolving in the shimmer and garland uses them as action scenes but at the same time to visually demonstrate exactly what's going on which i think is really really well done and and fascinating about the movie well i think that's the, the way you say that we can also just talk about like what is the shimmer doing itself that's really for the audience to interpret um and near the end of the film uh she says that it wasn't destroying things it was changing things which really takes us back to the the uh the title of the movie itself annihilation which we sort of see as destruction and stuff like that but i actually looked up the scientific definition in physics and it's just a conversion of matter into energy and she explains it as it's the shimmer is changing things and maybe not for malicious reasons. Um, we were talking before the podcast about that early scene when she's teaching about mitosis in a, a biology class. And I kind of think that that kind of relates to the actual overall point of the shimmer is that the cells perform mitosis and separate just because it's what they do. Um, and sometimes if it happens without control it becomes cancer right um and the same thing as a shimmer it's just it changes things because it's what it does and maybe the way we look at it can be malicious that it has that it's dangerous and stuff but in reality it's just changing things making things new and kind of biologically innocent is how i would put it yeah, I mean, it is important to remember that this is an alien film. Mm-hmm. And, and that one of the first scenes, we see an asteroid hitting Earth, um, forming the Shimmer. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, in, you know, in most alien films, the aliens are out to get us. Yeah. Um, they're malicious and, you know, they want to they wanna destroy us. But in this, it's very different. It's, um, they don't really have intentions, as you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. Um, it's mostly random. Um, it's survival of the fittest. It's evolution. Um it, it it's not conscious so um it's a definitely different a different take on on science fiction i think also what you said about it uh about it being an alien film um benedict wong's character the one the the guy who interrogates her i don't remember if his character had a name but he's sort of like 
this proxy of a typical audience um, of an, an alien movie. Like when she says that it was an alien, he's like, oh, so it was an alien. What, what was its form? What did it look like? Is it here to get us? Like he has like these very stereotypical questions about aliens that we expect to ask also when we walk into an alien movie and then her responses and her story is sort of uh, Garland's uh, counter to the typical um, alien film. I thought that whole sort of because it's threaded throughout the framing the film, device. Yeah, um, I thought it was it, it's a little meta on the part of Garland, mm-hmm. like you were saying, because every single one of Natalie Portman's answers are inconclusive. She's yeah. just like, I don't know, I can't describe. Like it's by the end of the film, the audience are asking the exact same questions, and yet yeah. we have the same exact answers. Like we don't know. We can't describe it. Like we were saying earlier, you can't really describe the end exactly, of this movie. Yeah. So it's this it's this interesting little sort of meta commentary, I think, on, on the genre of science fiction uh, in a larger sense, but also in the sense of I think it's Garland's, not necessarily a joke, but his way of sort of commenting on audience expectations. Um, the one, one thing I will say that I think is a flaw in the movie is that uh, the, because the whole movie is framed with the interview in the background, you know from the get-go that she's going to get out. That she's going to get out, and also that the other four are going to die in some way. So I think that that takes away a little bit of the tension. It's the moments of violence are still terrifying, like I was saying earlier. And they're certainly intense, but you have an idea. You have because you have expectations as to what's going to happen, um, which the film plays with a little bit by having like Tessa Thompson's character just literally like walk off and become one with the Shimmer or evolve into like the plant. Yeah, some, we don't really know strange. what happens. Yeah, some, there, there's a part strange. in the script, actually, that didn't make it into the movie where she says, like, before she leaves off, she's like, what if I get trapped in you? And that it's such, like, a weirdly vague but beautiful kind of line that would have fit so well in this movie. I'm sad it got cut, mm-hmm. but it's just more on, like, we don't understand what's happening, and I'm just going to let it happen because it's what's happening, and just this mixture of everyone's DNA getting refracted against each other, maybe I will get trapped inside of you yeah and it's it's unnerving it's yeah. weirdly unnerving the idea of being like getting trapped inside someone of mm-hmm. things growing and i personally had there were multiple scenes that made my skin kind of crawl yeah. like when the plants are growing on her arm or when yeah. uh you see the writhing insides of <laughs> it, it's really effective uh, an effective use of body horror what i was terrified at was when she was with uh the form or whatever her mirrored self in uh, we're gonna we're just gonna spoil this yeah, movie right yeah. <laughs> uh, when she's in the lighthouse and encountering this um, this being or whatever that's just mirroring her and we don't understand what's going on she doesn't and it seems like it's like hurting her but it's just like mimicking her and it, it, you sort of feel the pain that's going on like it's so much stronger than her and like she just like goes this way and it also goes this way it's like trapping her in there but also trying to become her I don't know. Can we talk about that a little bit? Like, there's so much going on right there. I, I kind of wish I had seen the movie more than once. Yeah. Because that's definitely something you need to go over and sort of parse through. Mm-hmm. Um, to tell you the truth, I really don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I was sort of taking it as it was trying to create a double the way that it created the double of Oscar exactly, Isaac's yeah, character. Exactly. Um, and there was definitely something with how there was the remnant of Oscar Isaac's body that he blew himself up with a grenade. And then she does the same thing mm-hmm. to her copy, but it still leaves with her. Cause the final shot you have the eyes glowing, which is like an indication that the shimmer, like, I don't know if it went out with, like if it came back with her, it's real. it's very uh-huh. hard that, to like. That was the main thing. I wrote that in my review for the voice. Like I just said, like the final shot feels very black mirror. 
Yeah, I um, think that's a good. Yeah, and that's what that's I didn't like about it, um, because I think the average audience, the average movie go- movie girl, will just say. Oh man! So she didn't win in the lighthouse. The other being got out, and now her and her and alien Oscar Isaac are both aliens. But I don't think I personally don't think that that's the case. And I think that it's either kind of confusing or misleading. Because I because I I agree with you that maybe it's just a part of the shimmer that came out with her, and she both her and Oscar Isaac are just irrevocably changed by their experiences. Because Oscar Isaac's character isn't necessarily like. The alien's new emissary to destroy Earth. He's he's a copy of yeah. of of uh, her, Natalie Portman's former husband, and his first impulse when he got out of the Shimmer was literally go to his wife. Like that's all he knows. Which I think was also Natalie Portman's doubles um, thing. If I remember correctly, like the last thing it did before it blew up was go back to Oscar Isaac's dead body. So I, their real impulses were towards each other. I think. Mm-hmm. I would have to watch it again to really know. I, I think yeah. that that's what happened. The, the other interpretation that I've seen of the ending was that she got out, like Natalie mm-hmm. Portman got out fine, but when she makes physical contact with Oscar Isaac's double, that's what sort of begins to change her. Like, mm. So that's why, yeah, I, I do sort of agree that I think the last shot is maybe like distracting yeah. and, and it's superfluous in a way that like sort of, takes away from what the rest of the movie is doing and makes you walk out with that interpretation where you're like, oh my God, the Shimmer's still alive. It's going to take over the world. Because but that's not the really last the shot that her eyes match his and that they're changing, I feel like the average moviegoer will think that that's like a trope of movies, that like the last shot is, is yeah, like, like another twist, twist against yeah. the twist. Yeah. Sam, what did you give us your interpretation of the ending? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of the ending? Yeah. Um, Do it. <laughs> it it's um, a tough question. I, I mainly side... I like the side... Um, that Iman was kind of talking about first where um, we know that she's changed. It's not really, we're not really sure how she's changed, but she, like you said, mm-hmm. she's uh, irrevocably changed. Um, I think that uh, the ambu- ambiguity, um, like it's such a, it's such a confusing film and they don't really give us much answers. So I think giving us like a, you know, an answer at the end would kind of uh, feel a little bit not, uh, as congruent with the rest of the film. So I do like the idea of kind of leaving it up to the audience. Um, but in my opinion, I thought, or what I got out of it, is that she, uh, like Oscar Isaac, are two different individuals when they went in and when they went out. Um, that kind of tied back to some of the themes they were talking about. And like in Annihilation, just like in Os- uh, or in um, in Alex Garland's other films, it is very thematically rich. Uh, something that... Uh, kept coming up was the idea of self-destruction um what did you guys think about that um Nally Portman's character you you guys notice that tattoo that she has sometimes she has it and sometimes she doesn't on her wrist do you guys notice that yeah it's called the Ouroboros yeah exactly that's like the the snake eating its tail yeah about like wholeness but also infinity and self-destruction it's kind of like this paradox and but sometimes it's on her and sometimes it's not and sometimes it's on other characters and sometimes it's not so that's definitely something that I gotta look out for in subsequent viewings I don't know what to make of it yet Mm -hmm. The, um, another question I was going to bring up was um, the affair subplot. Because if you oh, compare yeah. the affair subplot to the rest of the film, it doesn't fit in at all. But what I took from it was Garland is demonstrating the different ways that people can destroy themselves. And one way that... So, okay, here, actually, here's a clarifying question. Did the affair happen after Oscar Isaac left or was it 
I took it as before and that it was the reason yeah. he found out about it and that's the reason why he took the suicide mission. Yeah. And that's, because that's the way that I scene, took it. when she when he says goodbye to her, it's extremely cold between mm-hmm. them and it seems like he knows what happened. So in, in that case, the affair subplot to me was like the way a way that people destroy themselves. I think that's yeah. something that Garland does really well in this film. Uh, unlike the book, yeah. he gives the characters very strong motivations. You know, this was supposed to be like or as as we see, I mean there's very little chance they're coming out alive, but why did they do it? Uh, and that's something that I think that Garland provides answers for well, and we really uh, relate to the characters in that sense. I know uh, Lena, obviously, because um, connecting with her uh, husband after the affair, um, one cancer was another reason for one of the, uh, I think it was Ventress. The yeah, man, yeah, the psychologist. Yeah, the yeah. psychologist who was the leader of the group. Um, um, another one was uh, had uh, some kind of like self-mutilation Mm-hmm. Um, problem. So it she really touches upon all the ways that the characters um, self destruct. Yeah. yeah, and and it gives them a lot. If they feel a lot more fleshed out mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. book, where it's, it's if they vaguer. don't really feel like yeah. characters. Wait, in the cause, book. yeah, because like Garland, like I think his throughout his filmography, especially with Ex Machina, his previous film and this one, he really likes to disassemble humanity itself, um, and then examine it in the film and put it back together, which is what sci fi is so good for. Just uh, examining humanity through these speculative scenarios and I think he definitely does that um, in that way that you just explained Sam that uh, like just like how these characters walk out of the shimmer um, with un- they're completely changed you know we walk out of experiences with scars and traumas all the time that changes forever I think if that makes sense yeah See, this is what I think is so brilliant about the film is you mm-hmm. can have a million different interpretations of exactly what happens. Um, I think that the affair subplot stuck yeah. with me because it felt so out of place out of place and superfluous mm-hmm. that you have to wonder why he bothered keeping it in because it doesn't add mm-hmm. anything to the main story. But I took it as um, like Natalie Portman's character, someone who's in a blissfully happy relationship with Oscar Isaac, and then for some reason which you can speculate about she decides to sort of destroy it and she does mm-hmm. effectively end up destroying the marriage because you can think that uh, Oscar Isaac takes the suicide mission because he finds out about the affair and he's heartbroken uh, which I think may be reading a little too much into it but I think that's a reasonable um, interpretation so yeah, I think on, on considering it more the affair is I think it's, it's more thematic than anything mm-hmm. else and more illustrating her character um, and just showing that not everything has to relate to the plot. You can have these moments mm-hmm. that don't really fit in or mesh with the rest of the story, but still. I think those flashbacks were actually placed relatively well. Um, they they corresponded to what Lena was doing when she had those flashbacks. So I know she had one like before she was entering the Shimmer. Like So they, um, they feel, again, I, I do see how you say they feel kind of unnatural, uh, misplaced. But um, I think that they do have, they like they match up with the themes of the rest of the film in such a way that it, it feels like, um, again, you're not watching two different films. It's, you really see the character arc there, I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe in keeping uh, in consonance with, with what the Shimmer does, uh, these scenes, uh, they might feel out of place, um, and so do things in the Shimmer. Some things just feel like they don't belong there or that they don't mix well with what they're being mixed with. Yet they are anyway. They are mixed with them. They are they are there, and maybe there's a reason that they are there, but they just don't seem like it. And also, time is is played with in mm-hmm. the shimmer. Like when 
um, Natalie Portman's character first enters the Shimmer, all of a sudden it's five like, days pass yeah. or something, and she doesn't realize it. Just like how it's not a hundred percent clear what the ti- whether or not the timeline is presented linearly, or if things are shown mm-hmm. out of order. So there's this sort of manipulation of the timeline to I think I think that's a really good point, Sam, about like mm-hmm. the thematic. I think Garland is more interested in the thematic relevance than he is to like the plot mechanics yeah. and structure and like mm-hmm. this happened then and the affair happened then and then there was the mission. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's more interested in how like the affair relates to the themes of the movie than he is to like how the affair impacts the plot. Yes. Which I think is is certainly it can be a little frustrating if you're looking for a sci-fi movie that like plays out sort of more conventionally, but for what he was going for, I think it works kind of brilliantly yeah i i totally agree i i think that um he really wants to go for the ontological rather than the entertaining sometimes and sometimes he gets both Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a that's a good point um how did you guys think of the stacked up to ex machina so ex machina is his previous work it came out in 2015 i think uh and it really Mm -hmm. is yeah, in my opinion, it's one of the best science fiction films of the past. Like, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It explores artificial intelligence and humanity and the ways that, and like, the whole idea of designing consciousness and designing the ability to, it's like the Turing test on steroids. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the ability to create life and also create the ability to have uh, a human-like being that is able to imitate humanity to the point of, like, What's the point of a distinction between human and non-human? Uh, it's a really, I think it's a bit more, I think it's a bit more conventional than Annihilation. Like the ending, I think, makes a lot more sense, and it's easier to sort of walk away with a pretty clear interpretation. Um, what did you guys? How would you guys compare the two? So Ex Machina was uh, by far one of my favorite films of 2015. Um, so like going into any anything that uh, really impressed you before, um, it's easy to get your hopes up. Uh, obviously, so you know, Annihilation was a great film, but uh, by the end, I did feel a little bit disappointed that this was his follow-up from uh, Ex Machina. I was expecting a little bit more, but um, you got to put it in perspective. Yeah, um, uh, so I f- I do think Ex Machina is the the better film. Um, I think just from start to finish, it grips you a lot more. Uh, just because this Annihilation is a hard, kind of a tough film to watch. It's very meandering a lot of the time. Um, and Ex Machina very much, moment-to-moment, uh, moment is much more stimulating. I think if I I could pull out scenes from Ex Machina and could show you, like, this is how good this movie is. I don't think I could do that with Annihilation. I think you have to sit down and take Annihilation as a whole, maybe even multiple times to be able to enjoy it, whereas Ex Machina, you can literally just enjoy a singular scene uh, because there's just so much to reap from just singular scenes. And then put together the sum becomes even greater than the sum the whole becomes even greater than the sum of its parts whereas annihilation i think it, it only works as a sum mm-hmm. i think in uh one difference is in ex machina so much of the film is reliant on the performances of yeah. oscar isaac dom hall gleason and alicia vikander whereas in annihilation i think it's more reliant on the atmosphere and the sort of heady trippy ways that the film presents the the first hour and 20 or so minutes, and then the final 20 minutes. Not trying to take anything away <laughs> from the performances, because Natalie Portman's fantastic, Oscar Isaac, Tessa Thompson. All the actors and actresses in this movie are excellent, but 
I think that you walk away more impacted by the atmosphere and the direction and the visuals than you do by the performances, whereas in Ex Machina, so much of that film is made by the performances. Um, yeah, I, I think I generally agree with um, what you guys were saying, that Ex Machina is the better film, but... I've seen it. I think I've seen it twice. I've enjoyed it both times, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel a burning desire to go back and rewatch it the same way that I want to rewatch. And apparently, will mm-hmm. I will be able to watch uh, Annihilation very soon when it comes on Netflix? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, any final thoughts on the movie? Anything you guys want to touch on that we haven't gotten to yet? Any Sorry, more more interpretations of the yeah. ending? Maybe yeah. <laughs> favorite scenes. I I think that the sequence that I walked away from the most shaken by was definitely the showdown with the bear slash boar thing. Really? Yeah, just because that was such a viscerally intense mm-hmm. sequence, and the I thought that the the use of the human screams as the voice or the sound of the bear that was just it, terrifying. It could have so easily been like kind of like funny. The just this woman's scream coming out of the bear. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very, very, very hard line to toe to be able to to strike um, the right atmosphere and sense of fear that they did. Because I it could have so easily just been um, it, it, not on purpose. I my tongue is like twisted, <laughs> uh, but like it, I feel like at at first when the bear starts, I realized that the bear was screaming those words from uh, from Shepherd. I almost was like, oh no, is this gonna, what's going to happen? Am I going to start laughing? Is it like jumping the shark? But then you're right. It did start becoming like just really terrifying, especially because in that situation when the three of them were tied up too, everything fell into place very well for that scene. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it, it walks a fine line. And I think that the design of the bear also really helps because the design is terrifying. It, mm-hmm. it sort of it, – it doesn't look natural – it looked like it has. You can see part of its skull. It looks like it's yeah. it's just like it's decaying in front of you. Just ugh, yeah. Right. Well, everything everything in the shimmer is like disfigured, uh, just different in a way you can't really put your finger on, but it's disturbing, mm-hmm. um, and it really gets under your skin. And then um, there are also moments of, of beauty. Literally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then to contrast with that, you also have these moments of incredible beauty, like yeah. the the flower, pe- like in the forms of. Of humans people. and then the deer. The deer. Yeah, it's it's really it's quite quite a movie. Um, I wish more people went to see because we need more movies like this. Um, uh, but I, I would still definitely say that the uh, the best aspect of the movie for me just the visuals and production design. That's what got me to want to watch this movie from the trailers. Just looking at these creations like the flower shaped like people, uh, that guy sprawled across the wall. Um, but singularly, I would have to say that 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 climactic scene with uh, the mirrored the mirror of Natalie Portman really is the the showstopper mm-hmm. of this movie and it kind of goes with um so Alex Garland I watched an interview he said the movie's about how hard it is to be a human and that does seem kind of like um stereotypical sci-fi what is that's the theme what does it mean <laughs> to be human but I think that scene does kind of show like it's it's strange and terrifying and beautiful to be human like that thing is learning to be a human but it's violent, but it's also kind of spooky, and yet it's like a dance. Mm-hmm. So I think it, as stereotypical as his as that interpretation sounds, I think that that's that that instance in the movie brings that home. What did you do think of? So they kept um, 
during the flashbacks, they kept replaying this song. I think it was by Crosby Stills. Um, I, I, it was like a folk, folky type song. Um, do you know what it was called? Uh, I don't remember. But they kept me, playing it over and over. Um, I just wanted to know, like, as like a motif your thoughts on in that. the yeah. movie. Uh, yeah. Because it, it kind of felt out of place at times. Just like, Contrast, the, just like the strummy guitar? Yeah, it you was, mean? you know, contrasted with a very, like, techno, um... Yeah. Like, yeah, especially I, towards the end. So I, yeah. I, I wrote... I did write a paragraph on that in my review about how just, like, the strumming of the guitar is almost disarmingly soothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I say disarmingly with a grain of salt, but... Because when you're taken into those flashbacks, it does catch you off guard, and then it's supposed to soothe you. But like, then you you have to realize that maybe something's wrong about this. Um, and I just felt like the the sci-fi techno noises are sort of just par for the course of the movie. Like this, mm-hmm. though, you know what I mean? The the sound of the shimmer, like the deep. Mm-hmm. I can't. I don't really know how to describe it, but it was in the trailer very prominently. Mm-hmm. It's like sort of a, a mix of like the Inception horn and more. I listened to the whole through the whole soundtrack, and I couldn't find a specific song that really emulates that that sound, though. Yeah, I, I was really looking because I was very transfixed by it personally. Yeah, was it the, like the scene when they're entering the shimmer in the trailer? Yeah, they played at the Perhaps. very end. Yeah, during the. The final yeah, showdown. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Like, I think it was like deemed like this shimmer noise or whatever. Yeah, I saw an article online about it. Something but, crazy, uh, but and so it's it's memorable, but you can't really imitate it. It's, yeah, it's, it worked well. Yeah, no. On the, on the point of the guitar, I actually did think that it was too jarring at times. Like mm-hmm. I, I think I I agree with Iman and like he was going for a more like soothing, like sort of relax the audience. But I I thought it was a it was too out of place. Yeah, like there were moments where. It would be the scene that I thought was building up to tension, and then this guitar tab starts in the background, and it just it felt it felt odd. And they like, did it over and over. It wasn't yeah. a one-time thing. And yeah. and uh, there must be like some maybe some well, symbolic significance behind it. I don't know. It just on from a purely uh, like enjoying the movie, being uh, like the movie as a piece of entertainment. I thought it it took you out of the scenes a little too much. I I think it's fine. I I think just it just works on the level that. We expect it to always be these sci-fi blips, bloops, and blah noises, and then this these guitar strums sort of come in and like it really subverts uh, what you're feeling at that moment. Uh, that's that's really the only thing I could say about it. Mm, fair, yeah. Um, so that wraps up our discussion of Annihilation, and really quickly at the end, uh, I asked you guys to come in with a couple of your favorite sci-fi <laughs> movies to talk about because sci-fi is definitely my favorite genre of film. Yeah. Um, Iman, do you want to start I, us off? I don't think you were here. Uh, we were actually talking before. Uh, my whole uh, goal as a writer of The Voice is to argue that sci-fi is the pinnacle of cinema. Um, I could get behind that. In <laughs> every sing- uh, I, I, I'm like a broken record when I say um, I, I write it in every thing, single sci-fi related article that I write that is, sci-fi is a lens through which to examine ourselves. And I even said it earlier in this podcast probably. <laughs> uh, the movie that I first started thinking of um, also starts with an A, also has one of my favorite actresses, and also really subverts uh, what we expect from modern sci-fi is Arrival. And I know you love this movie, Graham. Um, and I, I love it too. I one best picture yeah, last year. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I understand. Uh, and uh, it, it's not, I don't think it's science fiction's time of the Oscars just yet. Now that they recognize <laughs> fantasy, again, they need to recognize <clears throat> sci-fi. But yeah, I, th- I mean, Arrival is just... 
when I first watched it, I liked it, but upon like multiple rewatches, it's, it's quickly become one of my favorite movies uh, ever made. It just has this perfect com- command of cinematic grammar, um, and it uses it uh, to really inform the greater story. Uh, I, I wrote like a, a million word long piece on that on the vo- on halftime. If any of you are interested, if anyone's interested in reading that, but really, um, it, it it's just how Denis Villeneuve, who is arguably the best director working Hollywood today, next to Nolan, is just using the language of film and the language of narrative together to inform one another in this story that's about learning a new language, learning this alien language, which changes how the person who speaks that language or understands that language perceives the world itself this movie about that kind of a language changes how we perceive film the language of film and the language of narrative um and because it works on so many levels with that and that it's just a very fascinating and gripping sci-fi story that also taps into international relations um and stuff like that uh it's one of the best movies in the past couple years and is really one should be one of the the pillars of the arguments for why sci-fi is so important to film have you seen it uh yes i have i do (laughs) um uh yeah it wasn't my favorite of the year um but it was up there um definitely something you had to watch more than once i'll turn it into your favorite yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, that it's uh it's also a surprisingly emotional film. Oh yeah, oh my and god. It's beautiful in ways you don't expect. And Even it's the such, first 5 minutes. It's such a shame that Amy Adams did not get a nomination for that. Yeah. I think she's one the of the new, biggest snubs of the year. She's yeah. the new Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> slash Roger Deakins. <laughs> like I don't know, I think she's been nominated like yeah, the beginning oh, and god. ending are so beautiful. Yeah. Um at the at I I don't want to spoil it, but in the beginning you just think it's going to be like just this up this the beginning of up where it's just gonna break your heart because her daughter dies of like cancer or whatever but it permeates throughout the story and you're like why does it keep going back to this and then when you finally realize and how it's this circle uh, it's just so good yeah it's a, it's a twist that like elevates the film which I think is mm-hmm. a lot of the times is really hard but to it do. not only is it a twist in the story but it's just like a twist in the editing a, it, it reinforms how you see how the movie was edited mm-hmm. you think these are all flashbacks where it's like a slumdog millionaire type thing like oh now I realize this but then it's a mechanic of the story and how she's changing as a character it transcends just the plot itself exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. it works in every and in, in every aspect imaginable Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it deserves to be. I think one of the best movies of the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah probably in top 10 sci fi movies mm-hmm. of all time. And Max Richter's On the Nature of oh Daylight God, that's is a beautiful, beautiful track. Probably my favorite piece of music ever written. I, mm-hmm. I've been listening to it on repeat all day today, actually. <laughs> great yeah, study music, gorgeous. but also great just music in general. Yeah. Sam, what did you choose? Uh, I chose uh, Alex Garland's previous film, Ex Machina, like you said, that came out in 2015. Um, so artificial intelligence is not something new that we've seen in science fiction. We have Terminator, films like that. Uh, but it's definitely done in a very different way. Um, my Something that resonated with me the greatest about it was um, that it was very intellectual, but not like pseudo-intellectual. Mm-hmm. Annihilation, we talked about, um, you know, vaguely scientific words are like thrown around as if we're supposed to know what they mean like uh gene refraction or gene uh reflection like what you know what does that mean um obviously not based in any uh in any truth but um i feel like ex machina 
really get you to think without having to use any far-fetched, you know, sci-fi lingo um, to do so. Um, And I feel like it's, it's accessible for people who don't, you know, know a lot about science. Um, And it's also very uh, relevant and it's very timely, um, especially in, you know, in an age where, you know, we have Siri, we have Alexa, we have uh, all different kinds of, uh, you know, artificial intelligence type things. Um, so it felt it felt very. Uh, uh, it was very, I don't know, very it affected me really uh, greatly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of it's probably the most realistic slash just one of the best looks at artificial intelligence mm-hmm. that we've seen because a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And like Terminator sort of set the standard where Skynet goes live and then destroys the whole world. But it's such a contained film. Like there are basically three main characters in the whole movie. Yeah. It all and takes yet, place in the same house. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. And yet it still feels like it's about humanity and it's mm-hmm. about like the human race. And what I think is brilliant, what I was trying to get at earlier was the way that you think that Dom Hall Gleason and Oscar Isaac are both manipulating uh the AI played who Ava Ava but if you watch the film again you can also read it as Ava manipulating mm-hmm. both Oscar Isaac like you know that she's manipulating Don Hall Gleason but also manipulating Oscar Isaac and then there's the great mm-hmm. sort of gut punch of an ending when she I don't want to spoil it but basically it's similar to Annihilation but I think it's it's different in that it makes more sense in the scope of the story that it ends with her essentially triumphing. It really keeps you guessing. Yeah. That's what I loved about it's it. It's not predictable. You don't see it's, the twist coming. No. <laughs> uh, and when they do, they, they hit you. Yeah. And they hit you hard. I also don't think yeah. that, I think that it's cerebral in ways that we don't necessarily think of sci-fi, modern sci-fi movies or movies in general these days being cerebral in that it's actually not super complex to follow. Uh, it's it, The way that it's cerebral is actually in just the ways that it makes you think and how you're feeling when you watch it. Uh, you don't have to like go back and rewatch it to understand the actual story, like maybe like Annihilation or like it, the Inception is like the seminal argu- uh, example of complex. Um, it, it's just cerebral and philosophical on that first viewing, and you can really take everything that you need from it in just watching it one time. You can. It's really a, a good movie to recommend to friends I would say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely more digestible yeah than, uh, that's a good word annihilation yeah. yeah I know some courses here at Georgetown even uh, kind of pick that apart in some like freshman writing classes yeah like writing 15 yeah isn't that fun that's yeah. great <laughs> uh, so originally I was gonna say Blade Runner but we mm-hmm. talked about Blade Runner in the Blade Runner 2049 podcast and I want to give some love to what is my favorite sci-fi movie of all time although not necessarily the best, and that's the original Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston and Roddy McDowell, which I think it works on the surface as just a very entertaining movie, Um, but you can also read deeper into it, and similar to Annihilation, I think it's very much a movie about destruction and how the the human race's sort of self-destructive ways, but at the same time, the question of whether or not that's necessarily unique to humans and the look at the ape society um, and it's sort of its treatment of humans. Uh, you can read a lot of different sort of um, metaphors there. But on the very surface, I think that there's a, there's a sort of brutality to what the apes are doing to the humans that really suggests, like, are they that much better than us? Or is humanity's sort of base nature, like, is it really that irredeemable? 
uh, which I think it's it's a surprisingly I think it's a surprisingly subtle movie for because when you go back and watch it like the ape makeup it hasn't really aged all that well um, but it's a surprisingly subtle movie and then of course the iconic final shot is mm-hmm. one of the greatest shots in all of cinema uh, I absolutely adore this movie and I think it holds up after god 50 years now 68 oh yeah 50 yeah. exactly wow yeah it's it's really it's an incredible movie if you've not checked it out please go please go watch it <laughs> yeah I saw I, I saw it when I was a kid I haven't seen it since um and I am very, very partial to uh, the new Apes movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I don't really have much to say about uh, the original Planet of the Apes other than just its huge influence that it's had on cinema in general and, and how effective that twist was and how it does, um, like you said, tell us about how uh, the irredeemable qualities of humanity, but also maybe maybe why we should still fight for humanity anyway. I, yeah, exactly. And even though you're sort of built up to hate humanity mm-hmm. in the movie... Um, or at least to, to pity humanity maybe because of the way that like so many humans are mute and then mm-hmm. um, it's a big shock when Charlton Heston can speak. But you still feel the gut punch at the end when you discover what's actually happened. Um, and I will say like I, I, I do li- really, really like the new Planet of the Apes trilogy, mm-hmm. but I think it lacks the, the sort of uh, social commentary and social critique of the original. I, I do agree, uh, especially War of the Planet of the Apes. Um I, I adored it. I think we both gushed about it together plenty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it doesn't have the, those layers of, of examining the way sci-fi usually does. It's more just like an exodus story. Yeah, and, and it's a great character piece Which is, it, it is, Caesar. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think that it lacks the, like I was saying, like it sort of lacks the social criticism um, that I think really makes the original stand up 50 years later. I'm not sure that we're going to go back to this trilogy and look at it the same way, but uh, I still think that all three films are strong and they actually get stronger as you go along, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, okay, great. That wraps up uh, this episode of The Real Pulpit. Thank you all for listening. You can check out the rest of The Voices stuff at the uh, Voice Podcast Network on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the rest of The Voices writing on georgetownvice.com. Check out a lot of Iman's work and my work and Sam's work by going to the Leaser section or going to Halftime. Um, do you guys have anything coming out soon that you want to plug? Any Twitter, social media stuff? reviews i have a review of the death of stalin where i got to interview armando ianucci which was really cool that's gonna hopefully come out sometime this week if i can get around to writing it <laughs> um anything you guys have in the pipeline uh I, I plug this every time i directed a feature-length film last summer it is titled guess again you can find it on youtube cool and sam will find out what you're doing next uh, that is right yeah. <laughs> next <laughs> some, meeting yeah. some review <laughs> yeah cool uh thanks for listening thank you Thank you. Peace.